Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. Now, a motion picture so grand, so magnificent, and so vast, it spans 7,000 years. No way! Yes way! But it starts with Bill. I'm Bill S. Preston! Who is Joan of Arc? And Ted. Noah's wife? We are in danger of flunking most heinously tomorrow. A force from the future. Can we go anywhere we want at any time? You can do anything you want. Is putting history at their fingertips. Let's reach out and touch someone. They're traveling through time. How's it going, royal ugly dudes? Put them in the iron maiden. Excellent! Execute them. Bogus. How's it going, dude? And they're making a big impression. Historical babes. Now they're home. Everybody get together and remember who your buddy is. To trash. The 20th century. We got a live one here. Keanu Reeves, Alex Winter, Napoleon. We're from history. Billy the Kid. Oh my God. Joan of Arc. Sigmund Freud. Tell me about your mother. You a musician? Beethoven. Genghis Khan! Abraham Lincoln. Party on, dudes! Socrates. George Carlin. We're history. If you guys are really us, what number are we thinking of? 69, dudes! <gasps> Bill and Ted's... Excellent! Excellent! Excellent adventure. Party on, dude. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure from 1989. The studio was Orion Pictures. The release date was February 17, 1989. The running time, 90 minutes, and it was rated PG. The budget was $10 million, and the box office took in $40.5 million, making it the 32nd ranked movie of 1989. Rotten Tomatoes gives it 81% fresh from 53 reviews. Their consensus is Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter are just charming, goofy, and silly enough to make this fluffy time travel adventure work. Now, I know I saw this in the theater when it came out, and I believe my mom took my sister and I, and I guess I would have been about 10 years old at the time. Now, my mom likely thought it was dumb but entertaining enough, and it was probably a double feature at the old Belmont Theater where I grew up. It's now a planet granite. (laughs) Excellent. All right, let's get into the main cast. Keanu Reeves plays Ted. Now, of course, Keanu Reeves would go on to be a huge star, but when this was filmed... He was still very early in his career. Now, I actually covered his early career in the little-known comedy The Night Before with Lori Waffle in 1988, so go back and listen to that episode. But prior to Bill and Ted, his best-known films were River's Edge, Permanent Record, and Dangerous Liaisons. Alex Winter plays Bill. Like Reeves, Winter was an up-and-coming young actor, though unlike Reeves, this would be his best-known film role. But he would continue to act and direct to this day, and has directed a number of documentaries and music videos. Prior to Bill and Ted, his best-known films were Death Wish 3 and The Lost Boys. George Carlin plays Rufus. 
Now, Carlin was one of the all-time greatest stand-up comedians, and to this day, much of his comedy is as relevant now as it was when he first presented his genius thoughts. He is by far my favorite stand-up comedian. Carlin would actually often dip into film work throughout his career, including films like With Six You Get Egg Roll, which was Doris Day's last film. It will be an episode in the next few years. He was also in Car Wash with Richard Pryor and Outrageous Fortune with Bette Midler and Shelley Long. The director, Stephen Herrick. Now, Herrick, like most involved in this film, was very early on in his career. To this point, he had only directed one film, which was the small-budget horror film Critters, and that did pretty well for a small independent film. After Bill and Ted, Herrick would have success with films like Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. I also saw that at the Belmont Theater. The Mighty Ducks, Mr. Holland's Opus, and the live-action remake of 101 Dalmatians with Glenn Close. Okay, let's get into the making of the film. So screenwriters Chris Matheson and Ed Solomon first met in a playwriting class at UCLA in 1981. The two would do an improv comedy bit for their own amusement, which was the foundation of Bill and Ted. One time and one time only, Matheson and Solomon did their bit on stage for a small crowd. And the crowd would ask random questions. And the typical answer from the duo was, Whoa, that's excellent, or that's bogus. The original script is pretty much what ended up in the film, like the collecting of historical figures. However, the Rufus character evolved more with time. In the first outline, Rufus was a 28-year-old high school student who drove a van that could travel through time. And he was also had his dog which was also named Rufus. <laughs> so the idea was he was really from the future, but Bill and Ted didn't realize it. So the original title of the script was Bill and Ted's Time Van, which Matheson now admits is a terrible title. It was also suggested by the studio to have Bill and Ted distinguishable from each other. Like one has a science background and the other one has something else. But Matheson and Solomon knew they were sort of each halves of one brain. It wouldn't work to have them separate in thoughts. But the cool part about the Bill and Ted characters is that they treat everyone the same, usually fun and caring. Even to people that don't like them, they don't change how they act towards people, which I think most people and audiences appreciate about the characters. Warner Brothers was the original studio and liked the script and having Stephen Herrick as director because his film debut came in 86 with Critters, as I mentioned, and there was a great sense of humor to it. Herrick said he had read the original script by listening to Van Halen, which definitely made him the right director for the vibe of this film. Herrick also came up with the phone booth idea after the van was nixed for being too much like the car in Back to the Future. But Warner Brothers ended up passing on the project because it wasn't the right fit for them at the time, but said that the producer should pursue other studios, and they ended up with Dino De Laurentiis' film group before Orion distributed the film, which used the exact script delivered to them. What people liked about the Bill and Ted characters was that they were lovable and not quote-unquote idiots, like it would be easy to label them as. They were sort of into things they liked and just focused on those particular things. Everything else was sort of ignored by them until they had to focus on those particular subjects. In many ways, the comedy was very Monty Python-esque, not the stoner comedies you would assume with two California surfer rocker dudes. So the audition process took a while to find the perfect duo of Bill and Ted because the writers were so invested in the characters. After narrowing down to about a dozen or so actors, it became the process of pairing up people to see who had the best chemistry. Immediately, Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter had an instant connection and a bond. And at one point, Keanu was going to play Bill and Alex was going to play Ted. Though this is partly based on the confusion of the actors going for a costume fitting, each thinking they were the opposite roles. Both Keanu and Alex turned into fast friends, and they bonded over playing bass, similar to Wild Stallions. 
Eventually, when they tried on their outfits, realizing that neither one of them could fit in their assigned clothes, then they realized they had their parts reversed. Much of Bill and Ted harkens back to the old comedy duos of Laurel and Hardy and Abbott and Costello. Those duos, they aren't idiots, but they often do silly things constantly. Everyone loved being around Keanu. He was just a fun person to be around, according to the other actors. And Alex was pretty much the same and complete opposite of his Bill character. It took even longer to cast Rufus, and most of the casting ideas were for a younger type of actor. Finally, one of the producers, Scott Kroof, mentioned George Carlin, and everyone loved the idea of him playing Rufus since he fit the comedic tone of the film and, frankly, was eternally cool and laid back. Kroof had also worked with George Carlin the year prior on the comedy Outrageous Fortune, again with Shirley Long and Bette Midler. Carlin actually didn't come onto the film until shooting had already begun. Keanu Reeves said it was the only time he ever asked for an autograph on the set of a film, that being George Carlin. And Carlin, as only he could, signed it, Dear Keanu, fuck you. (laughs) The actors loved how director Stephen Herrick would allow them to improvise and allow room for different types of direction. This created a more open atmosphere and helped the movie to grow past just what was in the script. Now, the modern-day shots were all done in Arizona, while the historic shots were done in Italy, as Dino De Laurentiis had many connections there. Filming was completed in 1987, but the film wasn't released because the De Laurentiis company filed for bankruptcy in 1988. So the film was shelved, and there was talk of just giving it directly to HBO and home video. But that was quickly nixed because it would just have been dead on arrival and nobody would have heard of this film. The producers decided to screen test the film and it did really well with teenagers and surprisingly also with parents who definitely liked that George Carlin was in the film and the producers knew that they should shop the film around to find the right studio to take the film. And eventually the film was picked up by Orion in a distribution deal because a few executives from Dio Rentis had moved to Nelson Entertainment and bought the film and then it became a huge return on their very minimal investment. Okay, let's get into the film. So the film credits actually begin with a song called Breakaway by a band called Big Pig. (laughs) And they kind of sound like the band Femme Fatale. Anyway, they never hit it big in the US and were mostly known in their home country of Australia. Now, frankly, the track is mostly forgettable, but then we are introduced to Rufus, again, played by the legendary stand-up comedian George Carlin. Welcome to the future. San Dimas, California, 2688. And I'm telling you, it's great here. The air is clean, the water's clean, even the dirt is clean. Bowling averages are way up, mini golf scores are way down. And we have more excellent water slides than any other planet we communicate with. I'm telling you, this place is great. But it almost wasn't. You see, 700 years ago, the two great ones ran into a few problems. So now I have to travel back in time to help them out. If I should fail to keep these two on the correct path, the basis of our society will be in danger. Don't worry, it'll all make sense. I'm a professional. I'm Bill S. Preston, Esquire! And I'm Ted Bill, here, let me take it. Okay. And I'm Ted Theodore Logan! Wild 
Guess we used too much power. I like it. Ted, while I agree that in time our band will be most triumphant, the truth is Wild Stallions will never be a super band until we have Eddie Van Halen on guitar. Yes, Bill, but I do not believe we will get Eddie Van Halen until we have a triumphant video. Ted, it's pointless to have a triumphant video before we even have decent instruments. Well, how can we have decent instruments when we don't really even know how to play? That is why we need Eddie Van Halen. And that is why we need a triumphant video. Excellent! <laughs> yes, the excellent catchphrase is introduced early and often. Wild Stallions is spelled like W-Y-L-D. S-T-A-L-L-Y-N-S, yes, would fit perfectly in today's vernacular, especially with those who only communicate via text messaging. There was going to be an alternate opening where Bill and Ted were doing a dance sequence at a bus stop involving them playing air guitar, but it was cut out. Also, the opening monologue from Rufus was actually written by George Carlin, which made the final cut. Anyway, Bill and Ted are late for school, and it kind of goes without saying that their focus on their studies is kind of lacking. So, Bill, what you're telling me, essentially, is that Napoleon was a short, dead dude. <laughs> oh, yeah. You totally blew it, dude. Ted, stand up. Stand up? Yes, son, stand up. Now, who was Joan of Arc? Noah's wife? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, guys, don't forget, tomorrow, final report, 1.30 to 3.30, okay? Hey, guys. Mr. Ryan, before you say anything, my distinguished colleague Ted and I wish to express to you our thanks for all the things we have learned in your class. And what have you learned? We've, uh, we've learned that the world has a great history. Yes, and that thanks to great leaders such as Genghis Khan, Joan of Arc, and Socratic Method, the world is full of history. It seems to me the only thing you have learned is that Caesar is a salad dressing dude. Bill, Ted, this is really quite simple. You have flunked every section of this class. Now, unless you get an A-plus on your final oral report tomorrow, guys, I have no choice but to flunk the both of you. So Bill and Ted's history teacher, Mr. Ryan, is played by the very underrated Bernie Casey, who appeared in many great films throughout the 70s and 80s. Now, if you didn't know, Casey was also a pro football player in the 1960s before his acting career. He played running back and receiver for the San Francisco 49ers and the Los Angeles Rams. And since pro athletes didn't make the money they make today, you would often see some guys get into film and television. And for some, it really worked because they had the acting chops like Bernie Casey and Jim Brown, Fred Williamson, Fred Dreyer, Dick Butkus, and Alex Karras, to name a few. But back to the film, in that brief meeting with Mr. Ryan, the entire film plot has been presented. Either they give a terrific oral report for their history class or they'll fail. 
Worse yet, Ted's father, who is a no-nonsense police officer, has told Ted he will be shipped to military school in Alaska if he fails. Express to the class how an important historical figure from each of your time periods would view the world as San Dimas, 1988. We are in danger of flunking most heinously tomorrow, Ted. Hi, Bill. Want a ride? Sure, Missy. I mean, Mom. Stepmom's cute. Shut up, Ted. Remember when she was a senior and we were freshmen? Shut up, Ted. <laughs> yes, Bill's stepmom is three years older than him. Now, the subtle, hilarious part about the last scene that you can't tell from just the audio is that Ted is holding all the books while Bill just holds a piece of paper with their assignment. In any case, if Ted is shipped off to military school, wild stallions would dissolve. And as Rufus alluded to in the beginning of the film, this would forever alter history. Speaking of Rufus, he is given orders to go back to Earth by the World Council, which is led by E Street Band saxophonist Clarence Clemens, and also the two other council members are Martha Davis, who was in the motels, and Fee Waybill from the Tubes. It is time. Their separation is imminent. Be excellent to each other. Party on, Rufus is transported in a telephone booth, which is ironic considering that the future still had them, not realizing they would be obsolete in about 20 years due to cell phones. In any case, back on Earth, Bill and Ted attempt to study for their history final, but they have a tough time focusing. Brought you guys some food. Your mom, dude. How's it going, guys? Back. You're destined to flunk most egregiously tomorrow. I'm destined to end up at Oates Military Academy. And then we will never start a band. Good. Good. What are you guys studying anyway? History. Mr. Ryan? Uh-huh. Tell him why. Why don't you guys take a dinner break? Mm -hmm. Thanks, Dad. Now your dad's going for it in your own room. <laughs> Shut up, Ted. Your stepmom is cute, though. Shut up, Ted. 
Remember when I asked her to the prom? Shut up, Ted! <laughs> Shut up, Ted. For those that were wondering, the song from the last clip was by Shark Island, and it's called Dangerous. They were pretty much only known because of this film. Anyway, so while Bill's dad gets it on with Missy, the boys are going to head to the local mini-mart, which is the Circle K, to grab snacks and attempt to study. But then they get another most excellent interruption. 1275, 1275. Okay, the lady in that car over there said that Marco Polo was in the year 1275. So it's not just a water sport, I knew it. Excuse me, when did the Mongols rule China? I don't know, I just work here. Well, you wanna try the Thrifty Mart? Sure. Greetings, my excellent friends. Do you know when the Mongols ruled China? Wow. Perhaps we could ask them. Bill S. Preston Esquire. And Ted Theodore Logan. Gentlemen, I'm here to help you with your history report. What? How? Bill, what? Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. Dudes, you guys are gonna go back in time. Yeah! You are going to have a most excellent adventure through history. Who are you guys? We're you, dude! No way. No way yes way ted look we know how you feel we didn't believe it either when we were you and we us said what we us are saying right now okay wait if you guys are really us what number are we thinking of 69 dudes we gotta go yeah, we gotta get back to the report. Rufus! Listen to this dude, Rufus. He knows what he's talking about. Right. Oh, and Ted, give my love to the princesses. Who? You'll see. Gentlemen, is everything all right? Yeah, except how come the number is dumb? Ted, don't forget to wind your watch! Thanks, Rufus. Catch you later, Bill and Ted! Dude, are you sure we should be doing this? Ted, you and I have witnessed many things, but nothing as bodacious as what just happened. Besides, we told ourselves to listen to this guy. 
What if we were lying? Why would we lie to ourselves? How are you going to help us? Yeah, are you going to call someone and get the answers? Gentlemen, we're going to do a lot more than that. Excellent. Brace yourselves, amigos. Gentlemen, we're history. So the phone booth takes the trio through the circuits of history. First stop is Austria in 1805, after the French have invaded. It's here we see Napoleon Bonaparte leading his army. However, instead of continuing to fight the battle, he sucked into the time warp with the boys. Rufus gives Bill and Ted one simple pointer. They can go wherever they want throughout history, but they must be back in time to give the report the next day. The telephone book in the booth will give them the number to dial to go to a certain time period. Bill and Ted, after discovering that Napoleon has been brought back to present day, decide in order to give the best presentation possible, well, they should just collect all of the historical figures taught to them by Mr. Ryan, and then they will be part of the presentation. So Ted asks his little brother to watch Napoleon, while Bill and Ted grab the other people for the presentation. Their next stop is the Old West and Billy the Kid in New Mexico circa 1879. Bill and Ted stop in a saloon, of course, and they're amazed when they weren't even asked for their ID. So, who should we take with us? Who's he? He's Billy the Kid. He's famous, dude. I need two men. Who's with me? We're with you, Billy the Kid. Here's the deal. Would I win? I keep. Would you win? I keep. Sounds good, Mr. the Kid. Poker face like me. Whoa, three aces. What the hell's going on here, Billy? Are you a cheating us, kid? Cheating? Me? possibly fight however how would you gentlemen like free pass to waterloo's home of excellent water slides nice try dude 
Billy the Kid in tow, it's off to ancient Greece in 410 BC, and specifically the philosopher Socrates, or Socrates, as they like to call him. Socrates. Hey, we know that name. Yeah. Hey, look him up. Oh, it's under Socrates. Oh, yeah. Socrates. The only true wisdom consists in knowing that you know nothing. That's us, dude. Oh, yeah. Let's bag him. Yeah. Hoshidor. Teshklepsidras. Hypeu. Emon. How's it going? I'm Bill. This is Ted. We're from the future. Socrates. Mm. Now what? I don't know. Philosophize with him. <clears throat> All we are is dust in the wind, dude. Dust? Wind. Dude. Ah! Ah! Himes, Udenalo, Blanconiotos. Ha! Ha! Let's get out of here, dude. <laughs> so the translation was the catchphrase from the long-running soap opera Days of Our Lives. Like sands of the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. Next stop is England in the 15th century, where they enjoy some swordplay with heavy metal armory. And the two princesses that their future selves told them about earlier in the film. I'll never rule the universe with you. Oh. <laughs> hey, Bill. What? We totally don't have a sword fight. <laughs> ah! Ah! Oh! 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 Ted. the 
most non-triumphant. Ah, Ted. Don't be dead, dude. You killed Ted, you medieval dickweed! saw in front of the castle. I am Ted of San Dimas. And, uh, I bring to you a message of love. <laughs> from who? From, from myself. And what is this message you speak of? Uh, lyrics, dude. Recite him some lyrics. Oh, you beautiful babes from England, for whom we have traveled through time. Will you go to the prom with us in San Dimas? We will have a most triumphant time. <laughs> Way to go. What does your father want? to be married to two horrible old men today. No way! Will you help us escape? Of course, course babes. Uh. Uh. How's it going, royal ugly dudes? I am the Earl of Preston. And I am the Duke of Ted. Them in the Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden? Excellent! Execute them. Bogus. We'll save you, babes! <laughs> Iron Maiden! Princess Joanna was played by Diane Franklin, who was well known to 80s movie fans for her roles in The Last American Virgin and Better Off Dead. As Bill and Ted are about to have their heads chopped off, they're saved by Billy the Kid and Socrates, who are disguised as the executioners. So they steal a horse and carriage with their phone booth and escape in the nick of time. However, instead of being transported back into history, they end up in the future at the council.
guys stay here. No. Should you play excellent music? Most understand. It's you. Yeah. It's us. What should I say? Make something up. Be excellent to each other. Party on, dudes! Gotta get back to our report. Yeah, we take you with us, but it's a history report, not a future report. Later. Later. Let's get back and do our report. Good idea. Now, the song that is played by Robbie Robb is called In Time, very generic 80s. Again, this isn't the film in the series where the soundtrack is that good. We then go back to San Dimas and find Napoleon enjoying the 20th century. Behold, behold, the Ziggy Pig, the single greatest ice cream spectacle known to man. Eat the pig, eat the pig, Ziggy, 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 Ziggy. Zig. It's ice cream. You eat it. It's good. La glace. Whatever. Just eat it. Proving that he's a Ziggy Piggy, Ziggy Piggy, Ziggy Piggy. 
I mean, who wouldn't want to be a Ziggy Piggy, eh? So if you didn't know, the Ziggy Piggy servers are actually the screenplay writers, Chris Matheson and Ed Solomon. In the meantime, the guys decided they needed extra credit, so they grabbed Sigmund Freud, along with Beethoven, and Joan of Arc, who was played by the Go-Go's Jane Weedwin. They also grabbed Genghis Khan, and of course, Abraham Lincoln. Back to San Dimas at a bowling alley with Napoleon and Ted's brother and his friends, they decide to ditch Napoleon in a playful way like kids do, and he ends up getting kicked out after not paying to play. After fixing the antenna on the phone booth, the gang arrives back to the beginning when Bill and Ted met themselves. Rufus tells them to dial one ahead to get the correct San Dimas time, and that they only have two hours left before the presentation. Ted, of course, forgot to set his watch. They arrive back at Bill's house, but have to do chores in order to get a ride to the mall. This includes all the historic figures pitching in as well. Once at the mall, Bill and Ted try to find Napoleon, who is now missing after being ditched. However, Bill and Ted surmise that where else could he be but the water slides, and they guess correctly. Excellent! Back at the mall, the historical figures do their own sightseeing. Joan of Arc joins an aerobics class. Beethoven goes to a music store, of course, and his buddies Billy the Kid and Socrates try to pick up some women. That is until Freud screws up everything with his corn dog in hand. What are they doing? Yeah. What do you think? Look at this sandal. <laughs> it's cool. It's cool. Weird, though. Hi. I'm Billy. This here is Socrates. Socrates. We're from history. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh-huh. Hello. I'm Dr. Freud. But you may call me Siki. Oh my god! <laughs> you both seem to be suffering from a mild form of hysteria. God, you are such a key. Way to go, Egghead. Geek! <laughs> what is a geek? Next, Genghis Khan amuses himself in a sporting goods store and discovers that baseball bats make great weapons. It then becomes a free-for-all in the mall, while the song Play With Me from the band Extreme plays, though it looks like Beethoven is playing along to the track. I need some help. I got a live one here. Okay, um, Thank you. I need the Lincoln hat and the stupid beard back. You don't understand. I'm Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, right. Ha ha ha. Now, come on, mister. That's my hat. And my Hold it right there. I got a guy off there. Yeah. Oh. Ah. Stop it. Hey. 
quick, over here. So, please, excuse me, please. Move, move, pardon me. Oh, no. I demand einen lawyer. Don't get smart with me, buddy. Let's go. So all of the historical figures are arrested and put in jail. None of the officers believe who the figures say they are, of course. While all this is going on, the boys are losing precious time before their presentation, though they'll likely do better than the jock who gives a quote-unquote memorable presentation. I want to know why you claim to be Sigmund Freud. How do you claim I'm not Sigmund Freud? Why do you keep asking me these questions? Tell me about your mother. Do you like a couch to lie on? No, I don't want a couch to lie on. All right, what's your name? Abraham Lincoln. Now that's L-I-N-C-O-L-N. I know how to spell Lincoln. What's your birthday, Mr. Lincoln? February 12th, 1809. Everything is different, but the same. Things are more moderner than before. Bigger and yet smaller. It's computers. In a fun nod to the absurdity of the time travel continuum shown in countless films, Bill and Ted break all of the figures out of jail because they decided to, after their presentation they would go back in time and hide Ted's father's keys outside of the police station. Okay, now usually it's at this point that I'd say, go watch the film, find out what happens. But really, me playing the presentation will not spoil anything. It'll probably make you want to watch the movie even more, right? All right, excellent. In conclusion, I think Abraham Lincoln would be most impressed with the world of San Dimas. I know I am. Down your hall, to the left. Quiet. And I'm sure I speak for Mr. Ward and Mrs. Rowe when I say that your reports were very entertaining and very informative for all of us. So it seems we may be one report short today, so we'll leave just a bit early. But once again, I want to thank you all for your very hard work. Hello, Sam.
Zeppelin album, Houses of the Holy. We were there. There were many steps and columns. It was most tranquil. He is sometimes known as the father of modern thought. He was the teacher of Plato, who was in turn the teacher of Aristotle. And like Ozzy Osbourne, was repeatedly accused of corruption of the young. And since he doesn't speak English, my friend Ted here is going to interpret for him. So please welcome to tell us what he thinks of San Dimas, the most bodacious philosophizer in ancient Greece, Socrates! Totally out of control, and I think I got a pretty good idea where he gets it from. I mean, if you and that uh, wife of yours would show a little discipline, maybe your son wouldn't be such a bad influence. Oh, is discipline your key to the success with Ted? Yes, it is! He's going to the last He loves you best. In all the world. What are they doing up there? He also loves baseball. Therefore, Ted's father's own fear of failure has caused him to make his son the embodiment of all of his own deepest anxieties about himself. And hence, his aggression transference onto Ted. Wow. Okay, Ted. <sighs> yes. Thank you very much, Sigmund Freud. You? Nah, just got a minor Oedipal complex. It is indeed a pleasure to introduce to you the gentleman we picked up in medieval Mongolia in the year 1269. Please welcome the very excellent barbarian, Mr. Genghis Khan! This is a dude who 700 years ago totally ravaged China and who we are told two hours ago totally ravaged Oshman Sporting Goods. A most bodacious soldier and general, Miss Abark totally rousted the English from France. And then she turned this dude, Dauphin, into a kid. And all this by the time she was 17. Je vais vous say un triomphe terrible en rousse avec mes water slide. The music of Ludwig von Beethoven. As you can see, Genghis very much enjoys Twinkies because of the excellent sugar rush. 
He also loves billions. Beethoven's favorite works include Mozart's Requiem, Handel's Messiah, and Bon Jovi's Slippery When Wet. To improve on the condition of her armies, Joan of Arc plans on instituting a full-scale aerobics program on her return to France. I don't think it's gonna work. Loves. He loves San Dimas. <laughs> For our last speaker, one of the greatest presidents in American history, Mr. Abraham Lincoln. score and seven minutes ago we your forefathers were brought forth upon a most excellent adventure conceived by our new friends Bill and Ted these two great gentlemen are dedicated to a proposition which was true in my time just as it's true today be excellent to each other and party on dudes So the live presentation scene was not originally how it was written in the script for the original ending. Originally, Bill and Ted brought everyone to Mr. Ryan's classroom, and then the historical figures basically gave Bill and Ted's report for them. And this just kind of fell flat, which is why what actually made the movie is so much better, because it's a collaborative presentation with Bill and Ted as the main narrators. Also, there was a prom scene, but it seemed like it was dragging out the ending more than it should, so it was cut out. And there you have it. Okay, now I won't spoil the final 10 minutes, so if you haven't seen the film, you'll enjoy the ride. And for many kids, you know, frankly, this is a terrific way to experience parts of history in a fun way. The detractors might simply only recognize the 80s California slang of Bill and Ted, but the film is much better than you remember. 
and and certainly way better than the subsequent sequels, which definitely, in my opinion, tarnished its legacy. Plus, the actors who played the historical figures are so well done in this first film. Now, Alex Winter claimed that he gets two types of letters from school teachers, positive ones from history teachers for encouraging students to learn about history, and then the negative ones from English teachers for affecting the way students speak. Well, you can't win them all. However, with all this positivity, I think there was a missed opportunity for the filmmakers not having Eddie Van Halen be part of their band. And there was talk about having Eddie play Rufus. That would have been most excellent. Also, having Van Halen music in the soundtrack was just simply too expensive for an unknown small-budget film at the time. And so this brings up the point about how the soundtrack to Excellent Adventure is so inferior compared to the soundtrack for the sequel, Bogus Journey. Now, the reasoning, again, is due to the budget. The first film was a surprise hit, and therefore the filmmakers had a much larger budget to work on the sequel, and therefore could spend more money on the music. However, while the soundtrack is terrific for the sequel, that film is most inferior compared to the first film. It is not excellent in the least. It is actually totally bogus. Uh, But most ardent film fans would agree. All right, some fun facts. Here are a list of actors that auditioned for the roles of Bill and Ted. You had Polly Shore, makes sense, River Phoenix, Sean Penn, just like Spicoli, and Brendan Fraser. Ringo Starr, Roger Daltrey, Sean Connery, and Charlie Sheen were considered for the role of Rufus. Billy Gibbons and Dusty Hill and Frank Beer from ZZ Top were considered as the three members of the future council. That would have been awesome. There was a short-lived animated show in 1990 with Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter voicing Bill and Ted. Uh, in 1992, there was a live-action series with none of the original actors, and it was quickly pulled after seven episodes. Originally, the plot was to have Bill and Ted visit and accidentally cause all of history's greatest tragedies, including the sinking of the Titanic and the crash of the Hindenburg. Also, in the original script, Babe Ruth was among one of the historical figures. I'm sure you're all wondering, how many times did the character say dude? And how many times did they say excellent? Well, they said dude 70 times. And they said excellent 30 times. So Stevie Salas is the guitar hand double for Rufus during the jam session at the end of the movie. So as we mentioned, uh, the movie features the song Play With Me by Extreme. Soon after, Alex Winter actually directed the music video for Extreme's follow-up hit, Decadence Dance. And speaking of fans of Extreme, our guest is Sonny Pooney from the Growing Up Rock podcast. He's also on Podcast Rock City, which is a podcast for Kiss, the band. And uh, he joins me to talk about this movie. Makes sense because he's a huge music fan. And of course, he does like some movies. <laughs> and he's always a great guest. He's always a lot of fun, too. So we have a good time talking about Bill and Ted. And I'll be back next week for yet another random and excellent movie from my DVD collection. Okay, we're back with Sonny Pooney from the Grown Up Rock podcast and, of course, Podcast Rock City. Welcome back, Sonny. Oh, it's good to be back. We're going to be excellent to each other. That's awesome. <laughs> Dude. Uh, so Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. This is, as we've talked many times, and you've talked on, on the Grown Up Rock podcast, your like movie introduction was roughly around 86, 87, along with music. And that's when you really started to get into things. So uh, did you see this in the theater or was it word of mouth through video rental? And uh, yeah, I mean, how did, do you, were you immediately drawn to this? Because it had that kind of hard rock angle. It had the hard rock angle. So we were all in. We saw this mm-hmm. at the theater. Like I'm I'm 18, 19 by the time right. this thing comes out, so it's perfect timing for me. Okay, yeah, and, and immediately you enjoyed it in the theater, or were you like, 
man, this is dumb, but the music's kind of okay. <laughs> I kind of look past the dumb because part of their scenes in here, I'm like, oh, that's bad. But that's really tainted with Reeves doing later stuff and you know what he can do. Mm-hmm. So when you're 18, 19 years old and you're basically seeing him for the first time, you just kind of see it as, oh, okay, well, this is kind of a fun, dumb movie. I have friends like this, you know, and you just kind of go with it. But uh, when you figure out what he's done later, you're like, oh, that's acting. It's kind of <laughs> rough. <laughs> and I'm assuming this is the first time you saw Keanu Reeves. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I think most people would agree that the original film, Excellent Adventure, is far superior to Bogus Journey. However, soundtrack-wise, uh, at least for me, Bogus Journey is far superior than the original soundtrack. So what say you? Uh, I'm with you. Because by the time we get to Bogus Journey, we're getting the guitar gods involved. And here, some of some of the stuff that's on the soundtrack isn't exactly the stuff that's on the charts. Right? right. So you don't exactly get a Top Gun type of soundtrack out of this right so i think bogus journey is better too what uh from the original soundtrack i'm assuming you love uh play with me from extreme and that's a fun scene in the mall uh what are some of the other ones that you kind of like from the original if you like any (laughs) yeah so the play with me it's definitely at the top and they timed it perfect in the movie right so that's that's somebody that's really knows what they're doing and really play with me is new at that point. So, mm-hmm. uh, somebody uh, pretty much timed that perfectly. I like the two heads are better than one, right? It was supposed to be Nelson, but Kaladner got in the way of that because their debut album was coming out. So they couldn't call it Nelson or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the two shark Island tunes cause I knew shark Island at the time and they're okay. in the clubs already. So some of the, like the tour tour songs. All right. Um, the vital songs, uh, the vital signs songs. All right. But, I would say Shark Island and probably the Nelson tune and then definitely the Extreme tune. And I had never heard of Big Pig. I even had to look him up. I thought it was Femme Fatale at first because it kind of got that like kind of female scratchy vocal. Yeah, I think some of this stuff, it's hard to kind of find out who Big Pig is. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you don't really know. And if we know that Kaladner was involved and, hey, you can't use that name. You use whatever the hell name you want, but you can't use that. Right. Well, then this stuff gets lost in time because you don't technically know who some of these other singers are. That's right. And that happens a lot with soundtracks. Um, and, and a lot of these, as we've said, it's because of what record label has, because it's all A&M, so that they, they get the rights to it. Yeah, and Kaladner's not on A&M, right? So he's not going to let right. them use the Nelson name. That's just how it is. Exactly, exactly. So are you a, a Bill guy, Alex Winters, or Ted guy, Keanu Reeves? I would have to say I'm a Ted guy uh, in the end, although I probably more have more tendencies of Bill. Right. This, this whole surfer boy, dude, like <laughs> even at 18 or 19, that didn't quite connect to me. Cause I wasn't a surfer boy, dude. Right. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I guess I have more connections with Ted than I do with Bill. So you grew up in New- Northern California. Where in Northern California were you? I was in the Bay. I was in Concord. I went to my okay. high school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So wild stallions is now kind of a fun punchline for people mocking like garage band names what would you have named your band in high school if you if you didn't have one already and i'm assuming you would have had to misspell it as much as possible just like wild stallion yeah we had um right out of high school we had a band called conquest okay right? but we did spell it with a q so we spelled it right <laughs> damn it um we uh tried jaded heart for a while um, but we spelt that right too. Like we yeah, were, you have to do a j-a-y you know d-e-d yeah we were more <laughs> we were trying to be more White Snake and L.A. Guns mm. than we were trying to be, you know, Teaser and some of those guys that uh, Poison that came out. But we were trying to be less glam and probably more sleaze, I guess. What instruments did you play? 
I uh, tried piano keyboards for a while. Um, that didn't work out too good because I wasn't that good. Mm-hmm. I tried bass for a while. I wasn't good at all. Tried singing for a while. So I was probably better at singing than I was anything else. Okay. So it, one of the key points of this film is the the ultimate presentation at the end, um, you know, when they, they give their final report. Uh, do, would you have enjoyed doing a presentation like this in high school? And uh, And I know you graduated a bit early, but what was your favorite subject in school? Uh, my favorite subject was math, hands down. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. I've always been kind of a numbers guy, numbers geek. Um, I would have loved to do a presentation like this at the end. I think that's awesome. I'll tell you, you know, I, I think I've told you this before, like I'm not the biggest history buff. So mm-hmm. most of the history I know are from stupid movies like this or like <laughs> Iron Maiden songs, right? Like that's, that's like literally the only history I know. You know, one of my daughters came up to me once and goes, have you heard of Icarus? I'm like, yeah, it's a song, <laughs> right? So it's, that's, uh, so I'm kind of into this type of presentation because, you know, the boring, take a test, multiple choice, blah, blah, blah. This is definitely more interesting. Well, that's why I think this film doesn't get enough credit, at least the first one, because it, whether you like it or not, it, I think on the surface you think, oh, this is really dumbed down, but you are actually learning about history through this in a silly way, which I think is great. Of the historic characters, which were your faves in the film, and uh, which historic time period did you enjoy the most from the film? Yeah, I probably enjoyed, uh, I like the Old West type stuff. Right. So I probably enjoyed that the best. I thought the Joan of Arc angle was interesting. I, Napoleon, right, just because it's funny <laughs> and he shows up in several time, places and yeah. the whole ice cream scene, which is fun. So uh, I was kind of hit and miss. I don't think I didn't enjoy any of them, right? The, the Athens Greece thing. I wish they would spent more time with Socrates, but you know, mm-hmm. he does a he does a bunch of stuff later, so that's cool. Um, but uh, yeah, if I had to choose one, it's always going to be kind of the Wild Wild West. Okay, uh, I don't think anyone could have played Rufus better than George Carlin. Were you a fan of his comedy before seeing the film, or was this your introduction to Carlin as well? This was my introduction to Carlin, and I tried some of his comedy, and it's just too political for me. Like, okay. I want, I like the Eddie Murphys, Richard Pryors of the world, the Ron Whites. I want, like, real-life type stuff and stuff people do stupid, and they talk about their families like Sebastian Maniscalco does. The, the politics side of it, I'm just not a big fan. So really, you should check out his early stuff from the 70s, because that's pretty much all um, real life stuff, you know, like the seven dirty words you can't say on television, stuff like that, because he turned into more political and edgier um, in the 80s, late 80s. Uh, but his early stuff really was apolitical. So I would recommend checking out the early stuff. You might you might like that a little bit better. Yeah, I'll check that out because you're absolutely right. Like, you know, when you go to try to start a deep dive, you're going to start with the most recent stuff. Right. And if it doesn't kind of intrigue you, then it's like, well, I guess I'm barking up the wrong tree here. Yeah. And he was around for so long before that. So what were your takeaways? Because usually you watch these movies before we do our our little interviews. But what was your takeaways from your last viewing? I can understand why it's a cult classic. I still enjoy parts of it. I didn't watch it with my wife because I think Nicole would have looked at it going, why are we watching the stupid movie? (laughs) Right. Because it doesn't really it doesn't stand the test of time for sure. Mm -hmm. Right. Like uh, and a lot of those. 80s types of movies like this didn't stand the test of time. You would have had to have a breakfast club for it to right. really kind of stand the test of time. Um, but I still, I didn't realize the whole, I remember watching it young and not realizing the whole Missy thing going on. Mm. Right. But now that I'm older, I'm like, oh, okay, I can understand. Kind of weird that uh, 
uh, the dad had sex in the in my room. That's kind of weird, <laughs> right? But uh, whatever. Um, so I kind of probably understand that a little bit better. Um, and I I think this last watch, I'm like, oh, I didn't realize Ted's kind of trying to get formed into this good guy, and he doesn't want to be this good military person. Right. He's not sure a military person is good, first of all. Right. So. I, I understand that angle better and better and better now that I'm a parent, obviously, but, uh, there's, I don't watch this movie that often. So mm-hmm. there's been big gaps in when I've watched this movie. So I think I understand it differently every time I watch it now. Did you ever, did you see the third one that came out not too long ago? I tried. I yeah. got through the first 10 minutes and I'm like, Oh my God, this is almost as bad as the new footloose. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I was the same way. I'm like, this is, this is the old adage where you don't wait too long. It's just, it's not going to be good for the most part. I mean, that's the rule of thumb. Yeah. It, it, there's a couple that have pulled it off recently. Right? Ghostbusters. But, uh, yeah. yeah. Ghostbusters. Yeah. Uh, uh, Top, Top Gun. Top Gun. Right? Yep. There's a couple that have pulled it off, but overall it doesn't usually work out, especially now we have history of who Reeves is and yeah. he is not this typecast character. So he can't, Go back and play. It just doesn't feel genuine. No, exactly. Exactly. So here's some trivia. We'll, we'll get your take. We'll see how close you can come. But uh, take your guess on the number of times that dude was said. Ooh. Uh, 55. That's a good guess. It was it was 70. So you're okay. close. Okay. And then how many times do you think excellent was said? Oh, excellent. Uh, that had to be less. I'm going to say 24. You're really close, 30. So, yeah, okay. great job. So, final thoughts. I mean, so, obviously, you like this. This would be your favorite of the three. Uh, but, again, you wouldn't really revisit it that much. Yeah, I think, you know, if if you're my age, 50s, and you have never seen this movie, you want to see the movie because it brings you kind of back to the old days. You know, there was, like, some new, like, some criticism. I'm like, you're talking about Eddie, but you don't have an Eddie poster on the wall? Like, what right. the hell? <laughs> right? You're wearing an Eddie t-shirt? Why don't you have an Eddie poster? Right. So I thought there were some weird misses like that, but that's total, you know, uh, Monday quarterback kind of thing. I think, it, yeah, if you're my age and you have never seen the movie, you'll enjoy it maybe once, but you won't go back to it. And if you haven't seen it in a while, I think you will watch it through different eyes. So you should at least try it. Yeah. Yeah. I know they really wanted to get Eddie Van Halen. I think, I don't know if they reached out to him or if it was a contractual thing, but he Eddie seemed like the kind of guy that may have done like a cameo, but it just never happened. But that would have that would have made this even more kind of a not less of a cult classic. I think people would have really been like, oh, that was the movie Eddie Van Halen was in. Yeah. And, you you know, if you're looking at 88, let's say, right, 88, mm-hmm. 89, yeah. A&M Records, Warner Brothers and Geffen are in war yep. with each other. They're right. not going to let you do things together. Exactly. So it's it's one thing to record under a you know a pseudonym, but yeah. you appear. There's no disguising Eddie Van Halen. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, thank you again, Sonny, and I think you're going to be back on real soon. Oh, definitely. Good time. I love words. I thank you for hearing my words. I want to tell you something about words that I uh, I think is important. I love, as I say, they're my uh, work, they're my play, they're my passion. Words are all we have, really. Uh, we have thoughts, but thoughts are fluid. You know. <laughs> And then we assign a word to a thought. And we're stuck with that word for that thought. So be careful with words. I like to think, yeah, the same words, you know, that hurt can heal. It's a, it's a matter of how you pick them. There are some people that aren't into all the words. There are some people that would have you not use certain words. Yeah, there are 400,000 words in the English language. 
and there are seven of them you can't say on television. What a ratio that is. 39,993 Bad thoughts, bad intentions, and words. You know the seven, don't you, that you can't say on television? Shit, piss, fuck, cunt, cocksucker, motherfucker, and tits, huh? <laughs> Those are the heavy seven. Those are the ones that'll infect your soul, curve your spine, and keep the country from winning the war. <laughs> Shit, piss, fuck, cunt, cocksucker, motherfucker, and tits, wow. And tits doesn't even belong on the list, you know? Yeah. It's such a friendly sounding word. Sounds like a nickname, right? Hey, tits, come here, man, hey, tits. Hey. Hey, tits, me toots, toots, tits, 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 man. Sounds like a snack, doesn't it, huh? Yeah. Yes, I know, it is, right, a snack. But I don't mean your sexist snack. I mean new Nabisco tits. And new cheese tits. And corn tits and pizza tits and sesame tits, onion tits, tater tits. Yeah. Bet you can't eat just one. Huh? That's true, I usually switch off. But I mean, that word does not belong on the list. Actually, none of the words belong on the list, but you can understand why some of them are there. I mean, I'm not completely insensitive to people's feelings. You know, I can dig why some of those words got on the list. Like cocksucker and motherfucker, those are... Those are heavyweight words, you know. Oh, there's a lot going on there, man. Besides the literal translation and, and the emotional feeling, I mean, they're just busy words. You know? There's a lot of syllables to contend with. And, and those K's, those are aggressive sounds. They jump out at you, man. Cocksucker, motherfucker, cocksucker, It's like an assault on you, you know? So I can dig that. Now, we mentioned shit earlier, of course, and... Uh, Two of the other four-letter Anglo-Saxon words are piss and cunt, which go together, of course, but forget that. So, little accidental humor I throw there. Piss and cunt. The reason that piss and cunt are on the list is that a long time ago, certain ladies said, those are the two I'm not going to say. I don't mind fucking shit, but P and C are out. P and C are out. Which led to such stupid sentences as, okay, you fuckers, I'm going to tinkle now.
And of course, the word fuck. <sighs> the word fuck. I don't really, well, here's some more accidental humor. I don't really want to get into that now. <sighs> because I think it takes too long. <sighs> but I do mean that. I mean, I think the word fuck is a very important word. It's the beginning of life. And yet, it's a word we use to hurt one another quite often. And uh, people much wiser than I have said, I'd rather have my son watch a film with two people making love than two people trying to kill one another. And I, of course, can agree. It's a great sentiment. I wish I knew who said it first, and I, I agree with that. But I'd like to take it a step further. I'd like to substitute the word fuck for the word kill in all those movie cliches we grew up with, right? Okay, Sheriff, we're gonna fuck you now. <laughs> but we're gonna fuck you slow. So maybe next year I'll have a whole fucking rap on that word, I hope so. Uh, there are two-way words. Those are the seven you can never say on television. Under any circumstances, you just cannot say them ever, 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 not even clinically. You cannot weave them in on the panel with Doc and Ed and Johnny. I mean, it's just impossible. Forget those seven, they're out. But there are some two-way words, those double-meaning words. Remember the ones you giggled at in sixth grade? And the cock crowed three times. Hey, the cock crowed three times. Hey, it's in the Bible. There are some two-way words, like it's okay for Kurt Gowdy to say, Roberto Clemente has two balls on him. But he can't say, I think he hurt his balls on that play, Tony, don't you? He's holding them. He must have hurt them, by God. And the other two-way word that goes with that one is prick. It's okay if it happens to your finger. Yes, you can prick your finger, but don't finger your prick. No, no. If you are ever in the San Francisco Bay Area and still love collecting or renting DVDs or VHS tapes, come check out Captain Video and San Mateo at 2837 South El Camino Real. Captain Video is open six days a week and closed on Wednesday, and one of the last traditional video stores still running in the United States. New movies you can rent for $2.99 a day. Old movies you can rent for $2.99 for five days. And if renting isn't your thing, you can also purchase anything you find in the store. Be sure to tell Ira that you heard about Captain Video from the Damn Good Movie Memories podcast. Happy renting and happy collecting at Captain, Captain Video. Video. Come hang out and chill with Brian A. Davis and the Bad Beat. Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.